Let's turn together in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're continuing in our sermon series through the book of Acts, and today we come to the end of chapter 2, which is one of the peaks in the entire Bible. This is one of those biblical pinnacles in the entire Bible that describes the people of God. Not just what we believe, but who we are, how we live, how our theology should directly impact our relationships. Acts chapter 2, we find a prescription for church. Some parts are descriptive, describing what God did among a, among a particular people in a specific place. Other parts are prescriptive, truths that are applicable for every person in every place. And most passages have a little bit of both. And we'll find that today as well as true in our passage today, where there, there are parts of this passage that are prescriptive for every church in every time in every culture. There are parts of this passage in how we interact as brothers and sisters in Christ that should be transcultural, universal. There are other parts that are descriptive. What I think we find in this passage for today is a recipe for our ecclesiology. These are the essential ingredients of Christianity. So let's read this together. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We read this passage and there's a part of our heart that leans into it. Because it, de it describes a depth of relationship. It describes an authentic, an authentic community that deep down we would give anything to be a part of. It, it gives us a snapshot, a peek behind the curtain of the early church of how they interacted with each other on a daily basis. This passage seems unrealistic because we come from such broken backgrounds. This passage describes a level of unity that unfortunately seems unattainable. It is an indictment against our individualism that this passage, this passage seems so foreign to many. I should say it's an indictment against the individualism of Western Christianity because we... We don't identify with the communal nature of the early church. It seems 
foreign to us because we have been discipled as individuals separated from community. We have been taught that we can achieve our full potential as Christians as individuals. And that is not biblically accurate. Right out of the gate, the first word of our passage for today is plural. Right? They. I want you to underline that first word in verse 42. They. Circle they. Community is not an optional accessory to Christianity. Christianity is always personal, but it is never private. I want you to write that down. Christianity is always personal, but it is never private. We have, I believe, in the West, in the church, in the contemporary church in North America, we have overemphasized accepting Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior to the detriment of the communal nature of Christianity. Community is not an optional accessory to Christianity. And based on the lifestyles of many North American Christians, you would think that community is optional. We view it as an optional accessory to Christianity. As long as I'm connecting with God personally, then everything else is an optional accessory. And that is not biblically accurate. We are born again into a family of faith. Christianity is unavoidably communal. It's a part, community is in the DNA of Christianity. We will never come close to fulfilling our spiritual potential as individuals isolated from biblical community. The first step towards experiencing what our hearts long for, the first step towards experiencing what this passage is describing, the level of intimacy, the level of unity, is devoting ourselves to spiritual growth and prioritizing our faith over everything else. We plan everything else around our spiritual development. And this starts with a commitment to Scripture. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There was a group of letters that were considered authoritative in the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which they started with a, with a commitment to Scripture. So to find a group, and a group is really any number greater than one, and you devote yourselves to the authority of scriptures. You commit yourself to the authority of scriptures and you submit yourself to that biblical authority. And this brings accountability. When you make this commitment within community, it brings accountability that is absolutely essential, essential for our growth in godliness. The word of God is the final and supreme authority for faith and practice. 
to commit ourselves and to submit ourselves, this communal commitment to scripture that brings this essential accountability when it comes to our spiritual growth. We read the word together. So just start with this. Let's read a book of the Bible together. Find one other person and commit yourself to scripture together. Where it's not just you doing it in isolation. It's you finding another brother, finding another sister. And you are going to find another soldier on the battlefield and you are going to jump into the foxhole and study the Bible together in the midst of the battles that you're fighting and read the Bible. Let's read the book of John. The Bible is enough. We don't need all of these other study helps. They're they're great to have, but they're not essential. The Bible is authoritative. So read the Gospel of John, and you don't have to read the whole thing in one setting. Just let's read one paragraph and then discuss it together. Read the Word together. You study the Word together. You memorize the Word together. You listen to the Word together. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. This is koinonia, which is much more than simply being in the same room. Unfortunately for many Christians in North America, fellowship has eroded to presence. Just being present in the same room is a far cry from what the Bible describes as fellowship. We have reduced fellowship to something superficial, but what the book of Acts describes is something incredibly personal. We are doing life together. Too often, churchy roads to a group of strangers sitting in the same room once a week, occasionally gathering in the same room, listening to the same person is not fellowship. It's just scratching the surface of what fellowship should be. We have limited interaction. We often have limited interaction with those sitting around us. In some ways, attending some churches are like going to a movie theater. We usually go with a person or a group, but we don't know the rest of the people in the room, but we're all there for the same reason. We're all watching the same show. And what the book of Acts does is it deconstructs our superficial definition of fellowship. The Holy Spirit brings this intimacy, but it only happens through interaction. It doesn't happen automatically. We have to proactively engage. We have to let the drawbridge down in order for others to come into our lives. Everyone was filled with awe. The Holy Spirit manifested through interactions in ways that defied explanation. The awe that should be a part of every single church. I mean, that's the root word in awesome, right? Awe. There should be the element of awe in every ecclesiology. 
all should be a part of every church an overwhelming reverence wonder first corinthians 14 the apostle paul says that when people come into our worship services they should encounter something supernatural they should encounter something transcendent and they should walk away saying that surely god was in that place where there's this sense of the other there's this sense of the presence of god that happens as we interact with each other the holy spirit bringing this level of unity that seems unrealistic to many of us it seems so foreign to many of us it's the spirit that defeats our disagreements and overwhelms our arguments. Remember the context of this passage. Acts chapter 2 starts with the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And everything else in the book of Acts is a byproduct of the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The name of this sermon series is Spirit Unleashed. The name of the book is the Acts of the Apostles, but it should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the main character in the book of Acts. And it's the Spirit that defeats our disagreements. It's not that we're not going to disagree. When you put more than one person in a room, there's going to be a disagreement about something. And the more people that you put in the room, the greater the potential for conflict, for disagreement, for division. But it's the Holy Spirit that defeats our disagreements. It's the Holy Spirit that overwhelms our arguments. It's the Spirit that inspires not... It doesn't just inspire us to tolerate other believers, but that we sacrificially give for their benefit. Look at what's happening here. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The early church isn't begrudgingly giving. You don't find the apostles doing annual sermon series on stewardship. You don't find the apostles peeling their fingers off of their stuff. You don't find the apostles spiritually manipulating the early church to give they are joyfully giving to meet the needs of others and this is not just disposable income this is not just their emergency funds they are selling property and possessions they are selling their homes they are selling their stuff they are cashing out their retirement accounts they are selling their vehicles and taking the bus they are downsizing and simplifying in order to give as much as possible to the church wow Wow! A big part of their giving was that they knew the people they were helping. It was personal. Many contemporary churches in North America struggle with motivating people to sacrificially give because the money goes to support an organization or a denomination rather than an individual or a family. 
we give to pay the salaries of the religious professionals. We give to pay for building, for buildings. We give to pay for programs. What Acts chapter 2 is describing is something that can never be replaced through staffing and programming. When you sacrifice for another person, it creates a deep spiritual bond and a relational loyalty that cannot be replicated any other way. My family has experienced this over the past year and a half as we have been supported by our faith community. You have paid for our groceries. You have paid for our rent. You have helped us buy a home. And this has created a deep gratitude in our hearts and a spiritual connection with you through your sacrificial giving. And it's produced a relational loyalty in our hearts for you. And my question is, how can we do this as a part of our church's standard operating procedure. How can we appropriately discover the needs within our church and give people in this faith family the opportunity to respond to those needs in a very real way? How can... And I... I really haven't been a part of a faith community like this before where we are taking care of each other in very practical ways. Yes, we provide the spiritual support through prayer, through counseling, through uh, teaching, through Bible study, through small groups. But we also, I think, what the early church shows us here is that there should be this kingdom attitude towards our possessions. That we are never owners of anything. That it's God's stuff that we are stewards of. And the level of affection that would happen when we are sacrificing for each other in very real and practical ways. And the the spiritual the spiritual things that happen through this practical this practical expression of our theology. Now that's uh, what James chapter two says. What good is it if you say to someone, "Go be warm and well fed," but do nothing about their physical needs, right? It's, Um, He's saying there should be a good faith effort 
to mobilize resources to meet physical needs as evidence of authentic faith. This, our family has experienced this, and I hope other families can experience this through the Holy Spirit in our church. They sold property, possessions, every day, right? So this is verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This, I want you, I want you to lean in here, right? This is the key that unlocks everything else. Are you ready for it? The strength of community is unavoidably connected to the frequency of interaction. I don't care how awesome your worship services are. If they happen four times a month, you are never going to experience what the Bible calls fellowship. The strength of community is directly connected to the frequency of interaction. And here's the hard reality. The hard reality is that we invest very little time and energy in building spiritual community. Is it any wonder that the body of Christ is so fragmented? Is it any wonder that the body of Christ is consumed with conflict? Is it any wonder that so many are so lonely? There are 168 hours in a week. If we allocate two of those hours to worship, that's 1.7% of our time. So if you allocate two hours a week to worship, that's less than 2% of your time and energy. There are 672 hours in a month. If we invest six hours to worship in a month, that's less than 1% of our time. And yet we think that investing two hours a week is a committed Christian. We think that investing six hours a month is leadership level commitment. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty here. I'm trying to force us to wrestle with and repent of how little we actually devote to spiritual growth. How little we actually prioritize worship. The early church prioritized worship over everything else. They canceled their plans to accommodate worship. We have a tendency to prioritize lesser things over worship. We prioritize our careers over worship. We prioritize education over worship. We prioritize athletics over worship. We prioritize recreation over worship. You know what the Bible calls something that we elevate above God? An idol. An idol is something that we prioritize above God, something that we sacrifice for, something that we value more than fellowship with other believers. And it is a subtle idolatry when we elevate recreation above fellowship. When we elevate professional advancement, when we elevate education above Worship. You see, there is this cumulative effect to worship. I experienced this as a new Christian. 
I became a Christian just weeks before leaving home and moving to university in another town. I moved into a dormitory and I was a Christian, but I was withering in isolation. Something was missing in my life, in my faith, but I wasn't sure what. I was reading the Bible every single day by myself in my dorm room. I was praying every single day, but there was something missing. Then someone invited me to a campus ministry, and I tell people that was the first day of the rest of my life. I found what was missing, and what was missing was fellowship. What was missing was community. And here's the thing, this place that was called the Baptist Student Union at Louisiana Tech University, we had chapel every single day. <laughs> and so we, would, we began to prioritize this daily worship to the point that we planned everything else around chapel. I would plan my classes around chapel. I would plan work around chapel. I would plan, I would plan recreation around chapel and in university some people would get up early to show up at noon for chapel and I'm here to testify that biblical community radically accelerated my sanctification I have experienced it we're going to be at a youth camp in the States in a couple of weeks. And here's the thing about youth camp. There is a cumulative effect to worship. Day one, we encounter God. Day two, we encounter him a little more. Day three, we take another step. Day four, we're deeper into his presence. And then by day five, day five, the Holy Spirit is moving in ways that he wasn't on day one or, or on day two. And there's this cumulative effect to worship. And so when we meet for worship four times a month, we can't expect God to do much. It's like operating on... 10% of your lung capacity. Yes, that will probably keep you alive, but you're not going to be able to do much of anything. Finally, it says, the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Our evangelism is often ineffective because our fellowship is superficial. The Lord added to their number daily. You don't see the early church planning evangelistic events in Jerusalem. You don't see the early church renting out stadiums and bringing in high-powered Christian communicators. Right? Evangelism was a byproduct of their fellowship, of their worship. God did it. And the convicting question is, what are we offering that can only be found in the church? It backfires when we overpromise and underdeliver. It backfires when we promise that they're going to be a part of this supernatural community and they actually experience more fellowship in a secular organization than they do the body of Christ. 
What are we offering that is supernatural, that is this transcendent interaction, this supernatural affection that should create this contagious community? There should be a depth of relationship that is radically different. There should be an authenticity and a sincerity that is supernatural and that cannot be found in social circles, in secular social circles. Here's the concluding challenge for all of us. And that first, that first verse is where we're going to end. They devoted themselves. And the way that is written communicates a continual action. They were continually devoting themselves. So it wasn't a one and done decision. It wasn't, I'm going to show up, pray the prayer, fill out the card, and then go on with my life. It wasn't a temporary excursion from their normal reality. It was something that reshaped their reality. They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Here's the challenge. Have you really devoted yourself to these things? Or has it been a pep rally commitment? Has it been like a parade that you attend where you take a break from your normal routine but then after the parade you go back to your normal life, your normal priorities. The Bible commands every Christian to prioritize worship above everything else. It's so easy to justify compromise and to slide into a subtle idolatry. It's so easy. And so the challenge is to recommit yourself to devote yourself, to prioritize fellowship, to inconvenience yourself, to reshape your schedule around worship, to repent of the subtle idolatry of valuing lesser things above worship, and to do this together. Right? What we just read in the book of Acts can still happen. We can experience that level of community. We can experience that level of intimacy. That level of belonging. But it's going to require us making a commitment together. Right, where we're going to stand shoulder to shoulder on the battlefield. Today, we're finding brothers and sisters on the battlefield, and we are making a commitment to never again fight alone. To sacrifice for each other, not begrudgingly, but gladly. To devote ourselves in such a way 
that we shape everything else our our recreation our our budget our our career path our education our athletic involvement we shape everything else around the main thing where worship is not an optional accessory everything else is worship is the priority and when we commit to that as imperfect as we are as inconsistent as we are I believe that the Holy Spirit will be unleashed in ways that allow us to experience things that were not possible before through biblical community let's pray Heavenly Father thank you for your word and for this beautiful description of the early church and help us not to dismiss it as something that is ancient and foreign but to embrace the challenge that it's possible for us if we are willing to prioritize our spiritual growth above everything else to commit to community and prioritize worship above everything else then you will do the rest and you will move in such a way that the people around us will want to be a part of what you're doing in Jesus name Amen If you're looking for ways to connect, find us on Facebook or YouTube. Just check out the show notes for details. Thank you for tuning in. I hope and pray that this has been a blessing in your life. And I hope that you'll continue the conversation with God by opening his word for yourself. Love y'all.